stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, to talk about the future of work and cities and what's happening uh, during this pandemic and post-pandemic, who's going to be the winners, what's it all going to look like, what's the implications for the economy. Eh, We're going to cover it all. Since I have John Blank on, uh, we got to cover all the things about the economy since he's the economist. So welcome, John. Tracy, good to be back. Yeah. So we're not talking about recessions this time, so I feel good about that. Um, But we are starting to get some data in about work from home and what is happening in the cities. And for those who might be thinking, who cares what's happening in the cities? Uh, The cities are two thirds of America's GDP. So it does matter what's happening in them. It matters if if workers are gonna return to the city centers and what that's gonna look like. Uh, I know we've talked in the past about you know, apartments and like real estate in the cities and what is happening there. And so now we're we're well past a year from the this pandemic starting. Um, it's been what, 16 months now, 16, 17 months. And so now we're starting to kind of see some things formulating, I feel out there. Um, so John, what what do you think is happening with you know, work for, you know, professionals, white collar, as they used to be called in the cities. And a lot of them or nearly all of them were working from home during the pandemic. And now we're starting to get some calls for some of them to be called back, although the Delta variant seems to be delaying some of that. But I saw a stat um, not that long ago that said only about Uh, 12% of professionals are still working from home full time, but I found that to be too low. I don't know what, what, who they were talking to in that. That sounds really low to me that it's only 12%. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start here with just a, your thoughts on uh, some macroeconomic variables, just to get the picture of how concerned this gets you. So if I, I'm going to tell you the quarterly outlook for 2021 for the next four quarters. The first quarter was 6.3% growth. The second quarter was 6.5% growth. Those are facts now. Okay. The second being an advanced estimate, the first one being a final estimate. The third quarter is at 6%, and the fourth quarter is at 4.2%. What does that sound like to you? Sounds good. Yeah. Like, okay. Any other time good. period, if we were getting that, you know, I would be like doing cartwheels. Right. Yeah. That's the first thing I would point out is that for the rest of this year, um, I would expect to be over strong growth relative to a trend that's typically around two and a half percent. Right. So that's good. Yeah. Now let's go to another line and get your thoughts on. Unemployment in the first quarter averaged 6.1%. The second quarter will finish at 5.4%. The third quarter at 5.2%. And the fourth quarter at 5.0%. Well, that sounds pretty good, too. 
especially given where we were only a year ago. Yeah, I think so. Um, the Fed is has is at four and a half percent at the end of the year. I think that has been and will remain too aggressive. Okay. I mean, a five point four percent in August with five months left is a, a tenth of a percent a month going out, right? Yeah. And so I think what's interesting is that's a fairly sober increase in a decrease in unemployment relative to those growth rates, which are the growth rates are double or even triple the average growth rate, whereas the unemployment rate in decline is, you know, a tenth of a percent a month, which is you know basically a, a percent a year. Right. So I think the first thing to point out is that the spending, and we saw this today with retail, even though the retail number for spending was down 1.1% on a month-on-month -month basis, it's up 18% post-COVID. So the macroeconomic scene we're seeing is kind of interesting, which is there is a lot of spending, there is a lot of growth, and the unemployment rate is creeping much slower than you might expect given that robustness, given the stimulus, given the just the general variable, uh, you know, absolute numbers, not growth numbers that you're, you, you see in a lot of data. Okay, so let me just ask this question because I know it's on people's minds who are listening right now because it just popped into my mind. So does that slowness in the unemployment, does that have anything to do with the, you know, federal subsidy, which is now $300 extra a week? Um, that's still being paid out until September. Is that what is? Is that a factor? Well, the hard question to answer, but to, to, to the degree that I understand this, is the red states, Republican states, are the ones who took away the unemployment subsidies before the end of September. Yes, they are also the same states that are experiencing Delta variant case overload. Right. So the mix of policies is what's relevant. And so in lowering mobility through fear or policy does not matter, um, is, is going to over dominate. It's certainly going to dominate any effect from the unemployment cuts. Okay. That red is all it does is it kind of increases the stress and suffering of those who lose the cuts, but it, it doesn't generally reach um, to the macroeconomic level, meaning all of us aggregate, because it's just the unemployed in those states. And those states typically have lower unemployment rates than blue states because they're not as metropolitan. Okay. And so what happens is their COVID problems are way greater now, and that is been their policy mistake, and that that's macroeconomic. That is all across the population. That is fear everywhere. Okay. So the basic point you want to get here is, as a macroeconomist, and I made this point to a lot of people, when you're talking about an unemployment rate that was 3.5% and now might be 5 or even 5.5%, doesn't matter a lot other than your understanding that we're talking about a difference of 2% of a civilian labor force, right? Right. And that's a civilian labor force has 150 million people in the United States, so that's 3 million people, right? Yeah. So 3 million people is what it is, 3 million people. Now, if you put fear in 
330 million people, because that's also including those at home, right, with a COVID pandemic. You can think it through yourself. Oh, you really should have focused on everything that hit 330 million people and basically forgotten. It was irrelevant, Tracy, from a macroeconomic perspective, whether you did or did not cut that unemployment rate, right? Because at best, in a state like a Missouri or a Texas, you might have gained or lost a half a point. And what you lost out of blowing your COVID play is orders of magnitude greater, right? Right. So that one thing that, that needs to be understood is this idea of what is macroeconomic and what is really not. And in this sense, really what you're talking about is a labor market for the unemployed versus the labor market, right? Right. And that is the biggest difference here. Okay. Now, what about the record number of job openings? The 10 million, we're at 10 now. Right. Okay, let's get back to that number again. 10 million openings. And you have a, a civilian labor force of 150 million. So how, what a percent of that is there? Um, I don't know. I'm bad at it. 5%? Basically 5%. It's a good guess. Five. It's basically that'd be nine and a half, right? Yeah. So basically 5%. So there's 5%. And that, that's counting, you know, every single job opening is a, a valid one that's priced correctly right. for someone who really wants it, right? Right. So let's have that. That's fair, right? Yeah. So what do you get? Two and a half percent. What did we just talk about? The difference between three and a half and maybe five and five and a half percent, right? Yeah. So basically, it, the pre, since the economy has already returned to its, its, prior trajectory, it should be no surprise that there's a job openings for something between that prior three and a half percent and the five and a half percent we're basically going to tag, right? Yeah. So what happened? Well, first of all, you left people sitting around for a year and a half and they moved on. <laughs> right. Right. The second right. of all, obviously, a lot of them don't want to go into these front facing service jobs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you do or do not pay them, they would simply not going to do it. Right. Right. So really all you're learning is what you already know. <laughs> right. right. And right. that I think this is kind of interesting. Is what would you expect to happen when you brought the spending, overall aggregate spending, up to the prior level and you have two job openings? So one of them's kind of worthless, the other one isn't. And as, so there's one valid job opening per person in that basically those groups in that little 2%, it's not going to wag the tail on the dog, right? It's not going to change your and my negotiating position with Zach's, right? Right. It is irrelevant. You're not going to go to the founders of this company, Tracy, unless you want to. And I don't, I don't advise this and say, hey, the, the job openings are at 10 million. So I need a raise. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I'm mean, pointing it out because what has to happen is you have to actually go to them and they actually have to be sympathetic to what's called wage push inflation, which means you really are facing rent hikes, you know, right. major transportation increases and such that you really need a five or 10 percent booster. Right. 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 That's a different issue. And that is a relevant one. But that you can see that it's very, very unlikely. 
that this 2% reallocation out of a COVID pandemic that might drag on for a while is going to morph into something that gets to people like you and I who are doing just fine. And this has been the case for this pandemic. The Atlanta Fed wage tracker during the 2009 crisis did plummet for people who were working, right? right. Yes. This time around, Tracy, it did not. You and I did not suffer. Right. You didn't suffer. I mean, I'm talking about in a collective aggregate sense of an in-place worker who didn't lose his or her job. Right. There, there was um, some, the difference I feel between this one and uh, this recession and what happened in 2009 was that literally large uh, parts of the economy, either you lost your job in 2009 or you you saw like a reduction in pay even like you know your boss just came to you like the whole company's doing a 10 percent reduction sorry and everybody got hit but right. in this one you either lost it or you or you kept it but there was no reduction in pay the only one thing that was hit briefly but most mostly it's come back is that some companies did um halt like 401k matches Right. But those I've heard and just listening to conference calls, that has all mostly been restored. So it was mainly a six to nine month halting. And then it, it came back. Same with dividend payments and all that stuff. So right. that's the macroeconomics, Tracy. We now know from the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, which people should understand is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, midway between MIT and Harvard, that the business cycle length was the shortest on record at two months. Right, yeah. So the other thing I've made the case for people understanding here is that the cycle began somewhere in middle May, early June of last year. So when you're talking about cyclicals, be aware that this is a, we're in a year on the up cycle. Right, right. Right. And that is another thing that as we talk back to the growth rates being so strong, spending being so strong, it also is planing out. And that is because the cycle is already basically priced in. Right. Right. It was a very rapid cycle. And it's probably over. So, again, from a stock investing perspective, which you are doing now, yeah. um, the. Don't get lulled into thinking that we're at just because we reopened and vaccinated, um, that that is the uh, cause of cyclical upsurge because it was all priced in probably. Right, right. That's right. a good point, everybody yeah. who's listening about investing. But you can kind of see that in the stock market now. You know, everything, I mean, basically everything I bought in 2020 after the pandemic started has have been winners. Like everything, you know, went up. It, it wasn't it was like an everything goes up type of market. And and that was just like 2009 into 2010, when if you bought then at, at the, you know, end, quote unquote, of that recession, um, you everything was lifted. It was easy. But now now is when it's, it is all priced in. And now the difficult part begins of the actual business fundamentals and and where we go from here. Right. Yeah, that is, I think, um, my first point. The second point I will make for people, um, 
I have thought a lot about this, and you know I wrote this remote working piece on yeah. Zach's. People can get to it. It's the August Zach's Economics Monthly. So the charts and the data are in that file, and I, and I ask you to go to it after this call if you want to read it as an economic summary. But what I want to point out to people is this interesting dynamic, which is we saw a doubling or even tripling of remote working during the pandemic. And largely, you know, some of the hybrid returns to work have begun, but yeah. it has a permanent, it has been a permanent feature to the landscape for at least the service economy, at least the management class, right? Right. And this did produce five quarters of productivity gains with the exception of the real deep spin down in winter of last year when we had the big peak in the uh, infections. Okay. So what this so looking back over 10 years, this actually did produce some modest service economy productivity gains. But if you look at over 30 years, um, it's not very impressive. Huh. Yeah. So the outsourcing, the trade, the globalization, the, you know, massive growth of, of, say, you know, in the 90s through 2005, when I look at the productivity gains, was where those gains were biggest. And so this was really actually just kind of a muted uh, productivity gains after a long period of stagnation in productivity. And so, again, I mean, to this call, um, it's very hard to say wow to that to that to that statement, right? Yeah. Now here's where it gets interesting. Um, what is different now versus 2000 is the market cap weighted indexes like the S and P 500, which are market cap weighted. 25 percent right. of the market caps now are like six or eight six or eight companies. Right. Right. Remember, we get 492 companies in 75% of the market cap index, and seven or eight that are in the other part. Now, what's interesting about this, Tracy, all of those companies, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the, you know, the Googles, these types of companies have done, you know, 30%, even Azure and Microsoft, 50% year-on-year growth in their businesses, cloud businesses, right. internet-based spending businesses. Yeah. Um, so what I think happened is, there was a huge lift that was basically captured by those big companies um, during the pandemic. And so those productivity gains did flow to seven or eight concentrated companies. And those price earnings ratios on those companies are between 26 and 30, right? Right. So if the entire market, and I got that data up just recently the current forward price earnings ratio is 21.2 and i have a quarter of the companies driving off a remote working sudden you know 50 60 percent gain in remote working that drove all these businesses cloud businesses institutional businesses doesn't matter if you're working from home how it worked it just there was a huge need to get stuff in place for that these companies benefit from that, and they're all pricing 28. Let's say, let's just make it easy. Do the math, Tracy. A quarter of the S&P is at a 30 PE, and the S&P is at a 21 PE. 
So what does that mean for the other three quarters market cap in terms well, of PE? They're a lot cheaper, obviously. Right. Yeah. So this is what's interesting. You take out a 30 PE, a quarter of it out. So let's just take a quarter out of 30, which is, you know, basically let's call it eight, right? Yeah. And suddenly you're looking at, man, you know, man, I, you know, I might get an 18 PE, right? Right. Out of the, out of the three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. So the one puzzle I, I've made to people as I've uncorked this roadmap gains through the big cap stocks that are driving the, the, mark, the, the uh, market so far is I wouldn't actually get too bearish based on valuations because the action has been at eight stocks fundamentally and technically. And that hasn't really left, and you can speak as a value investor, which is the, where we're doing this call on, that there really are some PE ratios outside those big stocks that are not that bent out of shape. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. There's quite a bit of value right now, actually. Yeah. And that's what we want to discuss here is, so now that all this is priced in, the pandemic, whether it comes back or not, we're all vaccinated in the United States. We're going to see more vaccination outside the United States at whatever tempo and rate different countries take. Um, so what's the stock play? Is it to keep playing the big cap names or is it to rotate because they're going to take profits in those big names because the productivity gains are kind of in the past in terms of that big surge, and you should get into these other stocks. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what's going through my mind as you're just laying out the scenario because it's making me think, how can Microsoft keep growing its cloud business at this rate? It cannot. And that's all going to slow. Amazon, AWS is going to slow. Google's cloud is small, but at least they have, um, you know, some other areas that might still have the decent growth rate. Um, but, but yeah, it's making me think, why am I buying? Why would I buy at these levels, these big cap juggernauts and a lot of these smaller companies are going to be more attractive? in the second half of this year and into 2022. Well, this is where I think we got to talk about this logic here because you laid out correctly, there's going to be some heterogeneity in the, in the FANG stocks about this, right? Yeah. Number one. Number two is all these other nine, you know, three quarter market cap, 492 S&P companies, it's still going to be the case that you have to find the ones that really will grow in this post-pandemic environment for those that won't. Right. Just just doing a, a random, I'm selling my FANG stocks and getting into all these others at lower valuations probably is a failing idea. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because what you'll do is, I mean, if we think about it as investors, what we're looking for now is the next catalyst from here. Right. The next catalyst from here will fall into the economy in whatever fashion it does, some of the large cap bank stops will be right, rightly positioned and not sell off, or maybe even keep going. And some of the other 492 companies will be positioned correctly for those catalysts and others will not. Right. Right. So this is, again, um, in terms of helping investors, uh, your job is probably harder now. 
Yes, indeed. Yeah, because that's what we want to point out here, that rotation won't be clean and the job will be harder. Right. It's not going to be so obvious anymore what the winners are. Like it was it was pretty obvious in the last year that, yeah, I could have I could have bought Wayfair because everyone was buying a desk for their kid to be at home doing school schoolwork. Right. <laughs> so, so that was pretty easy. But what happens going forward? Do I need another desk? Unlikely. Unlikely. So why? Yeah. And then you get into this discussion, which we need to have, which is obviously that the remote working thing was a broad and verified um, boost to the economy. Right. For all kinds of reasons, it stimulated the government stimulus checks. It stimulated online spending. It stimulated cloud support. Yeah. Uh, it stimulated Zoom. And then now we're here and you say, well, there just isn't likely to be a broad and swift economic gains. And in fact, as we've talked about, it will be strong, but not as strong and probably not going to lift many companies up. Right. I mean, look at the home builders here. They've been crushing it for the last 16 months, basically. Um, and. And demographic wise, they're still positioned well to crush it going forward. But a lot of the people who, you know, fled the cities because they needed more space or they just needed more space for that home office, all of that, that I feel is mostly kind of done now. Like school is reopening this fall in most places uh, across America and people want to be in place with their kids to so that the kids can go away to school and not stay home doing it anymore. Um, so most people are already in the houses. So that huge surge is done for the home builders. Now they still have huge backlogs and are still building these homes, but a lot of that is is you know priced in. So yeah. what happens for them going forward? That's why I keep telling people that there is such a thing as like peak earnings fear. That's the analyst basically saying, you know, I don't think it's ever going to get any better than this, at least in the next couple of years. So this is peak earnings. And that's a bad, that's a bad scenario, I feel, for investors who want to be in that particular stock. Yeah, it's going to be um, hard. And also you, you haven't lawyered the Fed in here now, which is the unemployment rates fall and the price inflation stays high, their mandate is violated and they have a mandate to raise rates or take the taper right. off. Yeah. Not conducive to stock investing at high valuations right. from an allocation perspective. So the first probable good lesson here is the easy money is way, way gone. Right. But it's not totally gone. Some of these groups will have the right businesses. Yeah. Because the dislocation and the disruption of the COVID pandemic will have created winners and losers and they will endure. Um, so again, I, I just like I said that I you might be surprised to hear me put a note of caution on a 21 PE. I also would put a note of caution on how hard it's going to be, right? Yeah. There will be stocks that will do fine because the economy will do fine generally, right? Right. And that, so again, you know, it's easy to to, to be this prescient, you know, discussion and, you know, we're, I get out now and take profits on everything, but I'm not necessarily clear 
than until the market thinks that and you should think that. <laughs> I mean, we're if these GDP figures hold, we're still looking at, you know, an average of 5% over the next two quarters, essentially, which is very hot. And That's a lot right. of companies will be crushing it with that kind of GDP. They just will. But yeah. I feel like the, the real question has to be, um, we have to change our mindset from who is, you know, our, our mindset for the last 16 months has been, well, first it was who can survive this pandemic, and then it became who's going to thrive during it, and then it was who's going to win on the reopen, and that's all been priced in. And now it just has to be who's going to win in, in a hot economy. Right. That's correct. Then you got to the right place here, which is who's going to win in a reasonably hot economy now, and who is going to, what recency bias is going to throw a lot of people off, right? Right, right correct. Yeah. Um, the confirmation and recency bias, particularly recency bias, where it's just like, well, that works. So, you know, now the whole, you know, Zoom's going to work. Right. Because Zoom works. Well, we'll work now. Right. Not necessarily. I mean, there's been a year and a half of people getting ready to compete with Zoom. People are going to go back to the office. Some of the cloud support will go to other groups who are cheaper or to have a different service offering. Right. So the main thing is to be heads up and continue to allow yourself the breadth of mind to find new winners in new ways. Okay. Right. So and not get trapped in recency bias. Right. Right. But don't overdo it either. You, it could be the case that your winner last year is the winner next year. It's entirely possible too, right? Where does it's that? Just, you got to be open-minded now. You got to be ready to learn from this market. Where does that leave you as far as the consumer names then? Because in in an economy that is hot, that is where I normally would go. I mean, I, that means people have jobs. That means they got the pay increase. That means, you know, they're feeling well, they're feeling good, they want to spend, and they're going to be buying, you know, the Lululemon pants or the latest, uh, you know, iPhone that's coming out shortly, that stuff. Like, should I still, a lot of the consumer names have, have surged, but we're starting to feel a little bit of a pullback because of the Delta variant here in some of these names. Should should those be on my list? Well, it should be on your watch list, right? Okay. And again, I mean, try to, for example, in retail, we got eight or 10 names you could look at and find out whether you own the ones that you should own or not, right? Yeah. So I think that's the real question is to get you know, involved in looking at, you know, what you own versus what you could own, right? Okay. Not necessarily selling or buying, but just saying, okay, I own Target. Should I buy Walmart or Amazon versus staying with my Target play? Yeah. And then just look at it that way. Instead of just saying it's going up, it's going to keep going up, Target's been doing great, just say, okay, let me look at the charts, let me look at the stories, let me learn something about a few of their competitors and at least start to loosen up my idea that I have nothing. But, you know, to follow this stock, maybe it, maybe there is a little better play out there. Just get loose to the idea that you might be able to change. Okay. Now, what is the scenario with the cities? Because we kind of opened the podcast with that. And, you know, here in Chicago, some people are starting to go back to the offices. The 
Metro, which is the train system, has resumed its more uh, normal, let's just call it normal schedule. It was on a very reduced schedule for the last 16 months, but they've they've gone back to that. Um, some companies are requiring people to go back at least a couple days a week starting in September, although that might some places are pushing it back to October now because the Delta variant. But we're starting to see some life again in like our downtown. And I know in like uh, downtown LA, it sounds like they're starting to see some, but it's going to be slow going in these main urban centers. As a stock investor, are, are REITs in play here? I know a lot of them have had the bounce back already. Um, apartment REITs, hotel REITs have bounced back. I don't, you know, commercial still probably a little dubious the mall REITs have bounced back but in an again in a like a GDP over four percent I I want to own the real estate and you know the heart of the cities but do I now is this the one thing that's going to be the the different thing this time well you know as you think about it in terms of why you and I remote work and enjoy it and get productivity is our environments are better where we're working at home and so any I've seen this in apartments, you know, amenity-laden apartment buildings do better. Um, shopping malls could be dead unless they're really nice and get a lot of activities and really upgrade. Yeah. Offices, I certainly think telling, you know, me to fly halfway across the country to stay in a cube for six hours isn't a very attractive proposition. But if you made, you know, me go to the new McDonald's headquarters with a cool Spanish steps kind of thing to hang out yeah, by myself, I might be a little happier with it. Okay. The, the curious thing here is it might lead to better management. Some groups like the CBREs is the Zach's number one ranked stock right now. Um, yeah. Maybe because those big groups are able to spend the money and reposition these things for the upgrading. Okay. Because the way you bring people back into these things is you have to upgrade. Right. Right. You have to upgrade the building, the office space, the atriums, the, you know, You've got to get the food courts right so people are comfortable sitting in them. Maybe it's outside. But again, you know, for example, here in Santa Barbara, uh, State Street used to be completely filled with traffic. Now it's completely filled with bistro booths and whatnot, right? Okay. Yeah. That actually, stay put. It's kind of an upgrade. It yeah. was necessary, but there is a group that will just carry on and say, now look, let's just never go back to State Street the way it was. This will happen in Chicago. You'll get the West Loop where people I saw the other day in my own condo, someone put a huge new wooden pizza arcade outside of a pizza joint with a two-year fuse for the next two years from today. Wow. You say, why is that? Well, maybe this is the new way to get people back in the game. You know, Michigan Avenue is a classic example. I've seen you write some things online about this. They're going to upgrade Michigan Avenue. Yeah. Right? Yes. You're not going to say, oh, you know, I'm going back to Marshall Fields or whatever, right. Water Tower. That's not enough. They got to do something. And that actually means investment. Right. And creativity and knowledge from architectural firms, design firms, uh, building managers, whatnot. And some of those people will do it. Right. And then the others will follow. And yeah. this is actually why, if you look at the SP 500 sectors and you pull real estate out, it's like number two in terms of returns. Yeah. 
So I think, again, don't get thinking, oh, you know, I was down at, for example, I was down in L.A. for a conference a couple of weeks ago, and I was noticing the incredible uh, number of condo developments that are still moving forward. Some of them still with the Chinese investment, even though we're fighting with them now. Yeah. And yet, in the midst of it, really, it was incredibly important to rebalance that downtown because it was all these square boxy office buildings, like much like the LaSalle Street area of Chicago. Right, right. Really dominated by office. So yeah. you could think what happened was there was a period where the inner cities were a total disaster. People lived in the Pasadenas and the Lake Forests and the Naperville's of the world. Right. Went straight to a square box in the downtown. Right. Yes. Yes. And they had this kind of thing where you just did this two life. And now yeah. you think, well, really, um, how much more balanced is LA? going to be when there's truly a lot of resident building people right right you're seeing this also in the fulton market area of la or chicago where hundreds of people are living in these apartments working near work upgrading the amenities those buildings are still going up tracy yes so i think again it's going to be the this discussion that we need to understand happening which these big areas will get very creative about upgrading and changing their Venues. It may not be office to retail or office to industrial, office to residential. It'll be all of the above by someone who's thinking it right, right? Right, right. Because it might just end up being more balanced where some people actually live on LaSalle Street. Right. I saw um, some stats recently about downtown LA that uh, they, they normally had, I think it was 500,000 people coming in there to work still. Um, despite all the condos being built. But over the last 10 years, they've gone from 10,000 people living there to 80,000 because of all the condos and the building conversions into lofts and whatnot. So they have made big progress on doing a combination of, you know, the the people working there plus people living there. But the problem is the workers <laughs> still um, are the dominant group and so it's going to take a little it's going to take another decade or so still to to have the turnaround i think in a lot of these downtowns even in chicago as well yeah i would agree with that i would agree with that but don't i would not think an aggressive timeline is relevant for these areas no no um because they are still as you said seeing the investment i know that there's there's a couple billion dollar projects as you just mentioned going up in downtown la still so yeah, the Gary's a Gary thing down by the uh, Disney Hall that looks getting yeah. very, very clear. Um, there's a thing called the Sixth Street Viaduct, which will be like the Golden Gate Bridge when it finishes. A kind of a new symbol of LA, kind of a ribbon, a regular ribbon building, a real bridge that's going to be really neat. Okay. The Arts District. Well, I tried. Everybody listening, I tried to talk Tracy to go to the Arts District in LA a couple weeks ago. I think I failed, though, guys. <laughs> But the art district is good. Yeah. It's very Venice but downtown and also West Loopy in its own way. Very, but with an added thing of some serious New York art galleries that have moved oh. in, New York City art galleries. So it's got a lot of swank. Very cool and actually pretty nice and new, too, on the midst of it all. Yeah. So, um, and so, yeah, I mean, when I was down there, I would take that arts district as a place to go to lunch and dinner over like Venice. Okay. Because Venice got parking's terrible. 
I got I got worries about homeless people. Yeah. Down sounds, in that area. It sounds like you are still bullish on the cities then, on the centers. I you know, it's gonna be again, I mean, I think cities are gonna be just like countries and just like companies. I mean, you're really gonna get a premium out of good management. Okay. Um, I don't think anyone who's not an activist manager of a city, an activist manager of a company, a real estate group is going to win in this environment. Okay. I think the activist people, the ones who say, I got to position this building and spend the money on it. I have to put the park in on that street, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have to get these homeless people out of this neighborhood. Those are going to be the winning hands. Anybody who's going to wait for these problems to abate, um, the, you know, the money and the people will go elsewhere. So you get, even this is true on countries, you know, with good trade zones and countries with good science parks and technology support. Yeah. Being activist is going to work, right? Okay. And then being, you know, latent or passive is not going to work. Okay. Because we're talking about a massive dynamic shift driven by the pandemic through remote working into the cloud-based businesses that probably has a lot of untapped potential, right? Right. How, and how that's, does, that's the next wave. How does the hybrid look for these cities? If you if you are if say in LA where normally five hundred thousand people were coming every day, but now, you know, you're only going to get a percentage of that coming in every day. Well, always an interesting thing. I mean, you get. I looked at traffic patterns and they're 130% above normal, right? For the for the traffic, but the subway's down like 70% of normal. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they're building all this transit. It'll, right. Again, right. to your point, it's gonna be years before they get to the numbers that can actually substantially sustain it. But at the same time, COVID's gonna, you know, be uh sitting on it and people are gonna so hundred more people are driving. We know this from the auto sales, used car. Yeah, uh, all this stuff because that people still don't want to get near people. Right. So again, it, traffic is terrible. Parking is really bad, and it's worse than ever because you, demand for cars went up. Right. Right. Um, so so again, it'll swing the other way, right? Like everyone. Yeah. Ultimately, what I see in place like LA is there's going to be this. LA was very activist for a lot of years, and a lot of its problems. We're ultimately getting done by multi-billion-dollar products of people moving at the airports, the transit systems across. The, for example, even I went to Union Station. There's a uh, a subway hub that was going to come to Union Station, which yes. and connect to all these other neighborhoods like the Arts District, so you could get downtown and get on the train and go to all these neighborhoods. Right. But it was not finished, Tracy. Well, not yet, but it will be. Right. So again, from a play now, this is a three, four, five, six-year horizon largely pegged by the olympics of 2028 i would say 2024 is when i would begin to think that a lot of these activist maneuvers by a place like la start to land right 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 and this is exactly we talk about new york city um people are coming back to new york city yes um they, they put up this thing called little island uh barry diller did i think and his wife diane von Furstenberg, I hope I get the name right. And yeah. that thing's brilliant. Okay. And so again, um, that was activist, right? But it also took six years, right? Yeah. 
all this legal stuff, all these hassles. But the, the places that fight that, the Obama Library in the South Side of Chicago, L.A.'s, can never get more done with like Pershing Park and, you know, other parks and cleaning the homeless people out and getting more and more uh, amenities for people and less, more safety. That's going to work. Yeah. By the way, the Obama uh, presidential library just broke ground this week, finally. Right. And so there again, great idea. It took four and a half years of litigation. Yeah. Two more years of building. And right. then, of course, we'll get to a 2024-ish Youth Chicago Science Park, you know. Oh, wow, we can go to Youth Chicago for the afternoon. Like, never before in the history of humanity has anybody ever done that. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. There are, some, <laughs> there are some good museums there. But, yes, it, it won't be on the map the same way it will be once that library is open. Because I, right. I that can change the dynamic of a place like Chicago dramatically, right? Yeah, uh huh. It definitely shifts the focus to the south side, where it hasn't been for a number of years. And then the real estate groups move in, continue to gentrify yeah. everything. And again, um, you say to yourself, "Do I want to be part of that, or do I want to live in Naperville?" Right, right. And generally speaking, um, unless I'm raising a family, I want to be part of it. Right. Yeah. Well, I feel bullish now, even even uh, you know about the entire stock market here. <laughs> I, I I I came around to realizing um, it, I just have as much trouble with a negative catalyst as I do have a positive catalyst. I have trouble with that one too. You know, delta variance for all these things, the world economy, whatnot. But I have trouble creating a massive like reversal. Okay. Yeah. There's so much momentum and so much stimulus and so much drive to get back to life that it's tough to say um, we just keep carrying on, right? Right. Yeah. And again, but to my mind, I, I think you know, activist thinking and management will be rewarded, and finding those cities, those companies, those sectors that are fleeter foot. You know, making decisions, yeah. making changes are going to be the winners. Yeah. All right. Um, this was good. But let me let me uh, discuss a few of the tickers we kind of mentioned or we didn't mention yet, but I'm going to mention right now if you're interested in kind of investing in this area. So John did mention CBRE. It is a commercial real estate. It is does have the Zach's number one rank and the ticker is CBRE. If you're interested in like the build out that John was talking about within office space and how people are going to have to upgrade and all of that, you might want to consider a company like Herman Miller. They do office space. Um, they're kind of cutting edge in that way. And they also have home furnishing division as well. I own it in the value investor. It's MLHR is the ticker for them. And they have been seeing the orders starting to, to come in because of these changes within the office space. So that's two like individual stocks you might want to keep on your watch list. And then you can just buy the indexes, which we've been talking about. Um, the S&P 500, you can easily buy through uh, the VOO, which is Vanguard's cheap version, or you can buy SPY, but that's the more traded and it has a little bit more fees on that version. 
And you can also get the fangs in some of those in the, in the S&P 500, obviously, but also in the QQQs, which is Invesco's NASDAQ ETF. Or you can go for QQQM, as in Mary. That's the um, like slightly cheaper, but it has the same stocks. So check out all of those. And yeah, like this is an interesting time to be an investor. So you don't want to miss a single episode of the Zach's Market Edge because I'm going to be bringing you everything that's going on in the economy, with stocks, with these sectors, because it's going to be interesting moving forward here in the second half of 2021. So be sure to subscribe. You can get us on SoundCloud. You can get us on Spotify, Amazon Music, um, Apple, of course, anywhere that you can get podcasts. But be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.